0: Here's one small clip of an upcoming conversation on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast.
1: It wasn't the right thing to do to have my esteem wrapped up in football. And that's something that I still deal with. And has it gotten a lot better? Absolutely, you know, time has helped. If I wasn't coaching, you know, I think the transition would be even more difficult, you know, but I think my wife has really helped with that. Just first off, Just being there for me, going through that whole deal, and then you know, trying to reinforce, hey, you're more than just you know the ball carrier. You know, so she's done a great job helping me with that. But you know, I I still I call it identity crisis at times.
0: Before you hear the rest of that conversation, I'd like to mention Children's Garden, one of my favorite charities to mention on this podcast. I personally know the two people who run this house in the Philippines, where kids who are living on the street or teenagers who weren't really getting education come and live in this house. They oftentimes will finish. School while they're there, head on to college. Amazing stories have happened with these kids who come and live at Children's Garden. I'd highly recommend checking them out at Children'sGarden.ph. That link's in the show description. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the podcast.
1: This is the Beaver Tales Podcast
0: with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Well, it was in 2013 that I started covering Oregon State football, so I narrowly missed the Malcolm Agnew era. Well, sure, I was watching the Malcolm Agnew era. I grew up in Corvallis and watched Oregon State football my whole life, and Malcolm was always, for some reason, a guy that just stuck with me, both when he was competing at Oregon State and after he left. I couldn't shake this feeling that Malcolm Agnew would be a really interesting guy to talk to. And when I started this podcast, one of the first names I thought of was, man, I really hope... Someday, down the road, I could talk with Malcolm Agnew. Well, turns out I had a connection. Shout out to Tom Ramsey, who happens to know Malcolm pretty well, and he connected the two of us, and Malcolm did not disappoint. Really fascinating story. He'll tell the whole story, but here's a brief snapshot of what Malcolm Agnew's football career looked like at Oregon State. Freshman year, season opener, this is 2011. Malcolm rushes for 223 yards, three touchdowns, in his collegiate debut to lead the nation but Oregon State loses to FCS program Sacramento State. The team ends up going three and nine that year as Malcolm has some injuries, falls in the depth chart, and ends up having fewer rushing yards the entire rest of the season combined than just that one game to open the season. Then he again is kind of mired down in the depth chart and injured the next season in 2012, while the team actually does really well, goes nine and three. Malcolm transferred then to Southern Illinois, where he finished out his last couple of years of college football and then had a very brief stint with the Green Bay Packers. That was yet another element to the roller coaster ride that he'll share that part of the story in the conversation. Ends up retiring and now is in coaching so about three years at North Dakota. And now since February, he's been coaching at Sacramento State, the very same program he played against in that crazy college debut. So naturally, there's a lot of questions there about how he handled that, the injuries, the crazy debut to the rest of his college career. So we talk about that, what it was like to have a very sudden end to his football career when athletics was taken away from him, not to mention getting married. Although he did transfer from Oregon State, he still met his wife in Corvallis and has fond memories of OSU. Sometimes it's touchy to talk with guys who transferred away from Oregon State because well, did they leave because they didn't like it, or do they not like the Beavers anymore? No, Malcolm liked Oregon State. It just was the best thing for him to move away, but he really does have a lot of friends from Oregon State and thinks highly of the program. So it was great to talk with Malcolm Agnew, one of the conversations I was most looking forward to ever since starting this podcast, and I hope you enjoy reliving a really fun weird career but a good one and a great guy just a fantastic person and one extra element he's the son of a Super Bowl champion Ray Agnew played 11 years in the league won the 1999 Super Bowl with the St. Louis Rams. At the tail end of the conversation, I asked him, do you have any recommendations for teammates I should get on the podcast? I do that with a lot of people I interview, but I usually edit that out of the conversation because it's not really part of the main discussion. But you'll notice at the end, I actually left that part in because I liked his answer. Just talked about some fun guys in the program that he played with. So you'll hear his recommendations for, I don't know, maybe a few guys will get on the podcast down the road. All right, well, here is current running backs coach at Sacramento State, former Oregon State football player, Please welcome Malcolm Agnew. Thanks for coming on, Malcolm. Where where am I catching you? Where have you been spending this summer? Well, you
1: know, I've been here. Well, I'm a, I'm a Sacramento State coach and running backs now. Um, I've been here working. I got a little bit of time off until school starts, like a couple weeks off just to kind of recoup. But I'm in the office today just going over a couple things, and, you know, I wanted to go to a quiet place so we could do this awesome podcast, so...
0: So here I am. That's what I like to hear. And you, you haven't even had a full season. You would really gotten hired in February, if I'm not mistaken. So you haven't even really coached a fall season with Sac State. So do you feel integrated into the program and familiar with everything? Or how's that transition?
1: its It's been a transition like any other, to be honest. Uh, from the time I got the job, I flew out to Super Bowl Sunday, interviewed the next day. Um, they came out of you know a couple weeks later, and then you know having to move across the country during the pandemic is is something that i really uh really test you i 'll say that much um it was <laughs> It was a challenge driving across the country it was a challenge been uh just to get adjusted here Um and on top of that too you know it's hard because I only got like a whole month of the players before the uh the pandemic hit Then i didn't see them for you know a good three or four months until I got back on campus in the, in mid june so yeah, to, uh, to say the, uh, the adjustment has been crazy is an understatement. But, you know, I, I think it's been cool, you know, to get some time with the guys in the month of July to do some work on the field and then to see the relationships grow. But, yeah, the first four to five months of the job were definitely tough just because of all the outlying circumstances, non-football related. So,
0: right, everything's cool now. Good. Well, we'll come back to your story of coming to Sac State and other stuff with your playing career. But speaking of Super Bowl Sunday, uh, I wanted to talk kind of just how – your, your football background came from and, and you know with your dad's Super Bowl experience tell me about your childhood what it was like growing up in the home you were in both athletically and whatever else was kind of the the main things you think about formative moments as, as your family background what, what's kind of like the how you grew up as a football player and, and beyond that too
1: yeah it was really cool growing up in a football family and and seeing you know my father play at the NFL at a high level and and win the Super Bowl you know I got to go to Super Bowl 34 when I was six about to turn seven and you know there's something I'll never forget is being there and seeing that all uh, firsthand and you know a funny story when we were playing the Titans in 1999-2000 that last play when the Titans were one yard short I was I was a little kid and so I thought they actually scored and so when uh, Kevin Dyson reached the ball out to try to uh, break the plane I screamed like no they scored and then I heard everyone cheering around me I was like wait what what happened and then my older brother was like we won the Super Bowl and that was a really cool moment but uh yeah no it was it was special to grow up the way I did you know I grew up very uh I grew with a lot of love in my family and got to see a lot of cool things because of you know the hard work that my mom and dad put in and they put me in a situation to to be successful and you know continue to make the Agnew name a strong name and so it was special growing up and you know, seeing my dad do what he did and see and hanging around a lot of, you know, now Hall of Famers, you know, Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, and hopefully Torrey Holt gets the call soon, Kurt Warner, Orlando Pace, you know, being able to see those guys hang out with those guys and, you know, even go to Bible study and church with some of those guys. And so it was really, you know, especially grew up the way I did and I'm very blessed for it.
0: Did you spend most of your childhood in Missouri, in Chesterfield, or were you moving around a lot or where, where did you kind of jump to in your childhood?
1: Yeah, so I was born in North Carolina originally, so that's where most of my family is is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and and that area over there. Um, You know, moved a couple places as my dad's career was going on in the NFL, and then, yeah, settled in in Missouri when I was five years old and went to all my school in in Missouri. So that's where, you know, I'll say I'm from, uh, Missouri, just because that's where I lived all all my life going to school, so
0: that's where I'm from. So once you came to Oregon State, come to the Pacific Northwest and kind of get that new flavor, uh, I want to touch on just the, the wild roller coaster of a college career you had. But when you just first arrived, fall of, let's see here, 2011, uh, what would you have said if someone asked you, like, oh, what are your, what's your college career going to be like? What are the next four years going to look like? What would you have perceived of where you would have been, you know, 2013, 2014, as you pictured what you thought would happen?
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't have pictured myself transferring. I've always pictured myself finishing my career at Oregon State, uh, you know, with, within three or four years, you know, walking on a senior day with, you know, my family in, in Reser Stadium um that's you know playing against Oregon yeah yeah would have been a Nah, i don't know where, who who would have played at the end because it wouldn't have been the civil war um but that's kind of how i always pictured it you know uh you know i didn't picture myself transferring uh, so that's definitely was a was a surprise you know when i first got to Oregon state when i got the Oregon state offer when I was a uh, high schooler, I always knew that was a place that I wanted to be. And so, when I did make the decision to transfer, it was a definitely difficult one because I always felt like that was where I was supposed to be, and it didn't make sense to me why. You know, it seemed like I was being called to leave. So it was it was uh, it was wild. I'll say that leaving, and no, it did not end the way I thought it would.
0: Yeah. When you say you felt like you're being called to leave as much as you liked Oregon State. And I mean, you said even before we started, you love Corvallis. So I, I know that you've still got a place in your heart for Oregon State. But but tell me about, uh, and we'll talk about Oregon State a little more in a moment, but that decision to leave and, and a tough decision. I mean, your, your wife or maybe girlfriend at the time stayed there for a little bit. So as far as the decision to leave, how did you ultimately say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and, and go to Southern Illinois?
1: Yeah, no, like I said, it was really tough. Uh, you know, I love the city of Corvallis. Uh, great town, great people. Um, I love the University of uh, Oregon State, uh, just with the the great school it is, the great people that were there uh, around the uh, athletics and then some of the teachers that I had, too. And you know, even some of my teammates, too. You know, it was hard leaving those guys and, and whatnot. And so that was all really difficult. Uh, kind of how the whole process went down, uh, I had a hard time coming to grips that it was – probably time for me to leave because it was a thing where I played early as a freshman and then kind of was falling down in the depth chart and uh, you know I, could I have stayed and maybe you know earned some more playing time possibly but you know that would have been a you know an uphill battle and you know there was things in my head like maybe it was gonna be better for me to be elsewhere and get a fresh start and you know get a clean slate and that's kind of what it really came down to but to be honest you know I it was I did not want to leave Oregon State. I was going to, you know, try to work it out and do everything I could to stay. You know, I was was talking to people around me that, you know, helped me see things clearly for myself to make the decision. You know, my my, uh, now wife was a big part of that when she was my girlfriend then. You know, the fact that she was telling me, hey, this, you know, it might be good for you to possibly, you know, explore another opportunity. To leave her is is a big deal. You know, my father was a big part of that. My mom was a big part of that. And my high school coach at the time, Pat Mahoney, was a big part of that as well. And so – you know, that was kind of my uh, my sounding board there. And, and you know, I think another thing, too, uh, it it was cool to be closer to home uh, for a little bit. And then my older brother played at SAU Carbondale. He was a fullback. And so that was another thing where I was like, OK, you get a fresh start, play with your older brother and be in the same backfield. So it was kind of a you know, that was kind of an incentive to possibly do it. But definitely one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make.
0: To come back to, like you said, playing time early at Oregon State, I mean, right away, Sacramento State being the season opener your freshman year, and you totaled 223 yards, you get three touchdowns. I remember watching that game vividly, and just the weirdest game of losing to Sacramento State, but oh my goodness, this Malcolm Agnew kid is amazing. What was your takeaway after that game of, I'm sure at least, multiple emotions of disappointment of the loss, but also maybe some excitement like, hey, this is my college debut and I just absolutely wrecked some people. So what what were you feeling after that game?
1: I had a huge headache. That's what I had. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, because you,
1: you go from so like my senior year of high school, you know, I had some injuries. Um, you know, I had a uh, you know hamstring issue which obviously bothered me throughout college. Um so I didn't play a ton my senior year and then you know my first game as a you know 18 year old freshman um, you know, a little undersized, you know, and getting 33 carries and, and, you know, Sac State, you know, what's interesting about Sac State is I realized in that team, they only won four games that year, but they had some pros. They had a, you know, had a linebacker to play in the NFL, a Super Bowl champion. They had a DN that got some time and a few other skilled players. And so, you know, you know, I, I had a headache after that game and it was, that's probably the thing I remember the most besides like, you know, the fact that, you know, you rush for a lot of yards, you lost the game. Um, just, Gosh, is this what it's going to be like week in a week out? Like that's a beating, but uh, yeah, you know, I, it's it, the Sack State game is interesting because you know it was, it was a cool moment, but it's kind of one that I don't talk about a ton. And I think the reason why that is because first off, we lost the game, uh, and and then on top of that, I wish I could have had more great moments like that at Oregon State. You know, there's some other times where oh, you know, he had a Malcolm, had, Malcolm had a decent game or whatnot, but I don't like to reflect on that game a ton just because I felt like. You know, there was gonna be more in the tank, and and besides just that game, but um, yeah, it it was it was definitely a wild thing. It was cool hearing from a lot of people back home and one night after the game, and I just wish we could have won the game. That was the biggest thing. We lost, and what's really funny is here at Sac, there's a yeah, obviously a um, there's a little plaque, or I should say a memorabilia board where it has like, hey, Oregon State beat Sac State, you know, whatever the final score was. I forget. 30 to 29, I forget what it was, 30, 29, 28. Um, and there's my picture in the bottom right. I'm getting tackled by somebody on there. And, and it was funny because I noticed it when I came in the interview and I was like, wow, that must be a god thing right there. But, um, but yeah, that's probably, you know, to reflect on the game. Those are some of my thoughts there.
0: That I appreciate that. And I, I could see why it would be both fun but hard to remember definitely uh, when, when that job opened up at Sac State and you interviewed for it, what was that like to start to think about Oh, going back to that same school that I played against freshman year?
1: What's interesting about Sac
0: um, is
1: Sac State had been struggling for a while, football-wise. You know, they had been winning a ton. They, they were up and down. One year they won seven, then they went three, six, four, so on and so forth. So they were kind of up and down. You know, then then they had a good year in 2019, and so you know, at first I was like, "Wow, like okay, that turned this thing around." I'm, you know, I'm I'm intrigued, and I and then I started thinking, like, wouldn't that be something? This whole thing came full circle, playing on week playing on week one of my freshman year, game one, um, and then now working here, and and you know, it's crazy how God works because here I am now, and it's it's been good here in
0: Sacramento. Are there people at Sacramento State now, an, an administrator, a coach? Who were there in twenty eleven who remember watching you play and and now you they're your coworker anybody anybody along those lines, or is it pretty much all different
1: yeah, I think our our s i d uh Brian Berger, I think he was the one that initially reached out and was like, "Hey, you know I was the s i d here when you know we beat you guys, you know you played a great game. I'm glad you know the game didn't last any longer because I don't know who would have got the win, but uh, I think that's the only person I've came into contact with that was like working here and then now is you know still here when I'm here I think that's the only person
0: let's talk about other moments at Oregon State it was you know after that you were dealing with the hamstring and you had you know basically still two years left the rest of that 2011 season 2012 and some ups and downs you get some playing time here and there then Storm Woods came in 2012 you got Teron Ward you got Jovan Stevenson you got a bunch of other guys you're playing with How did you handle that off the field of of the ups and downs of going to 223, you know, rushing yards a game and then and then whatever else you might get the next week? And sometimes you're injured. Sometimes you're healthy. Where were you at mentally? You know, when you're not at football practice and you're just kind of processing through that, where were you at the next two years?
1: Uh, You know, it it was definitely tough for me individually going through that, uh, you know, kind of losing playing time. I will say this, you know, Storm Woods, you know, worked his tail off and he's my roommate. Uh, my freshman year which you know that was an interesting dynamic you know being rumors with my true freshman and then you know the next year having another position battle but you know i have so much respect for storm and who he is and so when he was having success i was really happy for him you know he was a kid that came from texas and came up and worked his butt off and earned the spot and you know i had no no uh no arguments about it because he you know he played hard and 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 did well his, his uh freshman year and you know, Tehran is a great competitor. You know, like, I, I respect that so much about Tehran is how competitive he always was every single day, day in and day out, whether we were doing, you know, a conditioning drill, competing to get first place, whether we're trying to be front-of-the-line in practice, doing a drill, um, and then each rep in practice. And so I used to tell those guys I learned a little bit, a little bit something from all of them. You know, Javon Stevenson was a smart guy um, that knew the system well, that called out the back foot well. Same with Jordan Jenkins. Jordan Jenkins was a steady – you know, calm presence in the whole room, and so I think you know when when Stormer Tehran started taking some carries from me, uh, you know, obviously hard for me individually, but you know I, I was I was their biggest fan, rooting for them to have success and whatnot, and uh, you know, and I'm glad they did. You know, Tehran played a few years in the league, and uh, he almost won him a Super Bowl ring, and you know, I'm I'm happy for him for that. So there's no angst with any of those guys because it was a thing where the team was having success that year. We went to the Alamo Bowl and. You know, unfortunately lost but um, I just really you know felt like because I had those guys around me I think we all pushed each other to be better and that's something i always remember is putting my best foot forward and, and being able to live with the fact that okay it didn't work out but I put my best foot forward and you know those guys did well too.
0: The crazy thing about 2011 and 2012 is it seemed like the script was always flipped of You've got the Sacramento State game where you played really well, but the team lost. And then in 2012, the team does amazing, goes nine and three, makes the Alamo Bowl. But, yeah, your playing time was slipping, and you only had about 300 yards rushing that season. Not that Mm -hmm. you didn't make impact in other areas, but for what it's worth, just the statistics were less – so then once you transferred to Southern Illinois, you ended up totaling about 1,700 yards in your career there. Did it feel like things were a little more settled down once you went to Carbondale in terms of your career? Or how would you say it went at Southern Illinois your final couple of years? Uh, there was more playing time. Um, I'll say that. You know, it, was, it was still a tough position battle. You know, I think
1: that was the one thing that people don't realize when you, when you transfer to a different spot. Like for me, it was never you know, fully about competition. Um, I'd, I'd say that was, that was a part of it. Like, I wanted to, you know, make sure I had to, you know, pick my chance to put myself in the best situation to play and, you know, have a chance at the next level. But, you know, still I came into a position battle with a guy that was a transfer from Iowa, a transfer from Georgia, and a transfer from Ole Miss. You know what I'm saying? As there was four, tra- four FBS transfers you had to compete with. And so I think that's one thing that people don't quite realize about when you transfer to other spots, the competition's still going to be stiff. Um, yeah, I, you know, playing time was definitely better. I forget how many games I started and played in. I will say this, you know, the, the injury woes still lingered. You know, I had a uh, I had an ankle that bothered me my senior year. Pulled my hamstring before my junior year started. So some of the injury stuff was similar, which was frustrating. But I think the cool thing and the best thing about going to SIU and transferring there was being able to meet two different groups of people. You know, I got my Oregon State group. I got my SIU group, which was really cool. Being able to play with my older brother that last year was really cool. And so when you reflect back on that, that's what was – as far as the timelines go, it was different from Oregon State as far as, you know, hey, I got to play in a lot of games and experience, you know, that pounding time in and time out, which I'm very grateful for. But at the same time, it was uh, was definitely still tough, too, going through some things. But um, I definitely
0: enjoyed it. Tell me a little bit about your time after SIU. You still got to play a little bit, got a, a brief stint playing for the Packers. What was that experience like of testing out pro football and however long that lasted?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, that brings me an interesting story. You know, I actually didn't even ever practice at Green Bay once. You know, I failed my physical upon arrival because, you know, back to that injury deal, I had some neck stuff going on. I would get a lot of stingers. Like, they'd be, uh, you know, a stinger down my arm, which is just you're getting that tingling feeling like your are nervous pinching. And then I started getting full body stingers. This is my junior year. You know, I, I got an MRI after my junior year and you know, it was it was it was a bulging disc is what I was told. I was okay, I did some exercises and you know, it felt better and I didn't I got one stinger in my senior year and I thought everything was cool. I was like, okay, cool, perfect. So then when I got to Green Bay and, you know, the Green Bay had, had some uh some players that had some neck injuries in the past. So, like, Jermichael Finley was a tight end for him. He had some neck injuries. Jonathan Franklin, who played the UCLA, same thing. He had a neck injury that kind of derailed his career. And so, you know, when they got me imaged um, neck-wise, they saw something in my neck they didn't like, and they are like, hey, we can't pass you on a physical because of this reason. Um, that doesn't mean another team won't pass you, but you need to go see a spine specialist to see what's going on back there. And so, I went to go see a specialist, and, you know, what they said was, hey, you have a uh, – we have uh, cervical spinal stenosis, which is a nearing of the canal between the spinal cord and the discs. So just some, sum that all up that makes me much higher risk to get paralyzed from the uh, neck down. And so, you know, no teams would pass me on the physical. So that's kind of, you know, what kind of wrapped up my uh, playing career. So that was, that was tough being, you know, five minutes away from signing, you know, an undrafted free agent deal and getting a chance to, you know, participate in that rookie mini camp. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I never experienced a NFL practice playing Well, I started know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So at that point where you start to realize, gosh, I guess this is it for my athletic career. I won't be able to get past. And, and now the focus is just to get healthy, especially with how quick that transition is. Some players might have a, you know, 10 year career and they start to realize, okay, I'm probably going to retire in three years. I'm probably going to be done in a year for you is a little more sudden of I just failed a physical and that's it. Where, how did you handle that in terms of now you can't define yourself as an athlete. Now you got to be Malcolm Agnew, the blank, you're not a running back anymore. You're Malcolm Agnew, someone else. So how did that go where you're no longer a football player?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, It still, is, it was very difficult at the time. It still is difficult. You know, if I'm being honest, you know, I think it's still something that I, you know, battle with to this day. Um, you know, I, I, I can't speak for anyone else's situation. Uh, but that that's mine, because um, I, I did have my self-esteem wrapped up in this game, and I did have so much of my own identity wrapped up in, you know, being a running back, you know, and that's, you know, one of my favorite things about my own self still to this day was I could do this cool skill at a high level, you know, and that's something that I still deal with. And has it gotten a lot better? Absolutely. You know, time has helped me getting into coaching afterwards. has helped a ton because I still get my football fixed, but I didn't have. I wasn't coaching, you know. I think the transition would be even more difficult because that, and, you know, it, it wasn't the right thing to do to have my uh, esteem wrapped up in football, you know. But I think my wife has really helped with that. Just first off, just being there for me, going through that whole deal, and then, you know, trying to reinforce. To myself, like, hey, you're more than just, you know, the ball carrier, you know, so she's done a great job helping me with that. But, you know, I, I still I call it identity crisis at times, you know, because I still try to wear cleats or practice and I challenge some of my running backs to competitions and whatnot, knowing dang well, I can't win. But like, hey, man, I could beat you in a 20 yard sprint. Like, yeah, no, not really. But, uh, you know, so that, that's that's the thing I'll say. It's still an ongoing battle. Uh, it's an ongoing battle for sure.
0: When you say it, it's not right for me to have my self-esteem wrapped up and yet that's so common almost universal for every football player and and athlete period to do that because isn't that what it means to be an athlete to to put your full emphasis in it and to try your hardest and to basically define yourself as an athlete but i i think you're touching on something important there so when you say it's not good to have your self-esteem you know intertwined with just football itself why is that why is that not the healthiest thing
1: uh because there's there's a What's the word? There's roller coasters with the game first off. So let's say you're within the game still playing, right? There's going to be good moments and bad moments, especially when you put so much time and effort into anything, you know, uh, especially a, a sport that's so glorified and, uh, you know, so popular, you know, people tell you how great you are and things like that. So I think there's a roller coaster that comes with that. Some people tell you the good, some people tell you the bad. And so you you deal with the roller coasters of the good and bad and what people are saying to you. And, you know, if you're not performing well, then you're, you don't feel good about yourself versus when you are performing well, you feel like you're, you're worthy of anything and everything. And so to me, that's why it's not healthy because it's not always going to be good things happen to you. Sometimes you may go through injury and be going through a difficult thing. And so that's why I think it's hard. And then on top of that, when the game ends, okay, now, boom, there's this big boy that's, you know, not easily filled. And I don't even know if it ever gets filled, to be honest. Um, uh, you know because you look at it and it's like okay let's say you know let's let's just throw out like Brandon Cooks or or like James Rogers. You know, they played at Oregon State for, you know, their career and had great careers. Crowds roaring and you know they did all these great things and you know let's say they never had a chance to you know do anything afterwards and they just never put their uh their lives into anything else. You know, that may be a struggle for somebody. I'm not saying those guys struggle with it, but I'm just giving example when you when you go into an environment where you love the game so much and the crowd is loud, you're winning games, you're performing well, you feel really good about yourself, you feel really good about what's going on there, and so when you put all your eggs into the, just that one basket, it's dangerous, you know. And do I know the right answer? No, I don't. You know, I'm not saying I have the you know the answers to all this, but I just am speaking from you know my own experiences and you know maybe some other people that I might have heard their experiences, you know, and so. Um, I think that's the, the one thing we have to try to figure out is, you know, make sure we don't put our worth in the game. You know, it's got it's gotta be in something else, you know. And uh I think one thing, you know, to, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm a guy of faith. Faith is something that's important to me. Uh, and so I think the thing I've really been checked on, which is which is interesting, is, you know, have I been so you know, I've always been a guy that's tried to give God the glory and whatnot, but You know, the one thing I've been checked on is have I always used God as just a good luck charm and how is my relationship really with him? You know, and that's been definitely an an area of growth for me is trying to make sure, you know, I'm not using him for a good luck charm. And I'm still guilty of it to this day in my opinion, you know. You know, am I praying more when I want something versus when it's just normal average, you know, days? You know, do I pray more during the season than out of season? You know, and so that's something I'm still working through is is trying to get more consistent with – with my word and making sure that you know my worth is truly in you know what's eternal which is uh within Jesus Christ and so I think that's to tie this all back to it I think that's what you have to do um again I'm you know that's what I believe in I can't say what anyone else believes in but that's what I think could help this whole deal
0: I like that I, I like asking that question regardless of where people are at whatever they're philosophical beliefs religious beliefs and then and just get people's real answers and oftentimes you get to, to what the heart of where people are at and what their most inherent rudimentary fundamental beliefs are and and I can tell that's something that sincerely is what drives you and, and motivates you so I appreciate you sharing that uh, I, I like the the story of, of Brandon Cooks too because let's see I think he was a freshman your freshman year also in 2011 and then mm-hmm. um, really he only spent one more year there than wow. you did and uh, both got to experience the 2012 season together. You both changed your jersey numbers from 2011 to 2012. There's another parallel between the two of you. But what, what's a funny Brandon Cook story, or what did you learn about him, seeing him behind the scenes at Oregon State? <laughs> okay, Brandon Cooks. I remember the
1: first day I saw this guy run routes. Uh, we were all freshmen. It was me. Uh, who were the quarterbacks? Uh, Peter Ashton was a quarterback. Richie Harrington were both quarterbacks in the class. It was Brandon Cooks, Tyreek Zimmer, and Richard Mullaney. Tyler Trof, senior at the time. Myself, Storm, uh, Najee, uh, Patrick, we were all in uh, the indoor facility at, uh, right across the street from Reeser throwing the ball. And, you know, we had some guys that looked good. Mulaney, you know, was solid. The Trocini had some twitch. But then you see Brandon run around, and it was like, okay, this guy's different from everybody else. He was razor sharp, focused. He just moved differently than everyone else. He was really fast. He looked like he was more advanced than the rest of the group. That was the only way to describe it. I was like, hey, is this guy a freshman or is he like a, a true junior? You know, so that was cool. You know, first time I saw Brandon actually in action. Um, I think the one thing about Brandon, um, you know, I, Brandon's work ethic is is fantastic, you know, and he takes care of his body too, was one of the first things I noticed. Okay, this guy was in his book early on. Um, he stayed after to catch balls. Um, he conducted himself like he was, like I said, a junior. Like you couldn't tell that Brandon was a freshman you know, outside of everything, because he knew his assignments well. Um, you know, he he gave problems to some of our good corners then, even though he was a freshman, and so that's what stood out. Uh, the a funny Brandon Cook story. Um, <laughs> I don't know why this one always sticks with me. Uh, <laughs> and if he listens, he might kill me. But I, I the guy at practice, uh, I think it was it was our sophomore year. I think it was during spring ball, going to our sophomore year. The guy would, uh, I don't know if he could tell time because where the sun was, but the guy was randomly in practice. He would be like, you guys know I could tell time without seeing the clock. And so we were asking him, hey, Brandon, what time is it? And he would do this weird thing with his hands, like going in the air. And then he'd say, it's, you know, 1.30. And then some of the trainers in the back, they were holding water, would check their watch. And it would literally always be within the minute. It was really impressive. And, like, I made sure this guy didn't look at a watch. I would ask him randomly sometimes, hey, what time is it? He'd do his little thing with his arms. I don't know what it is. And he'd be like, hey, it's 1125. And then I'd be like, hey, what time? is?" It? i asked the trainer. Yeah, 1125. Always within a minute. I don't know how he did it. I don't know what. But the guy, he could tell time, and he was always on it. And that's one thing I, I just – I always remember my Brandon was that funny story. Like, the dude could tell time somehow, but – he he was just different, you know. He was just built different. And um, I think the cool thing about him is he always stayed humble. You know, he was never a guy that got, you know, too into himself and whatnot. He knew where his strength came from, his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, he's a, he's a good dude. I'll miss him. You know, he was a ramp to do his things with the Texans. I'll definitely miss him, that's for sure
0: that that's so i mean he's so talented in so many ways but just an underrated superpower just always knowing what what time it is that's so weird
1: yeah yeah brand Brand is quirky but like in a good way you know like it's, it's like okay you got this guy that's you know really talented really good at football and you know but he's also normal because he has his own quirkiness so that's that's probably the coolest thing about brandon is you know he's he's quirky as 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 much as he is you know Talented superstar is quirky so yeah
0: i can tell i've only talked to him once or twice you can tell i feel like some guys can get him out of his shell and you can start to start to see that a little bit but
1: absolutely (laughs)
0: um, you mentioned your wife and meeting her at oregon state how did you cross paths and kind of the first interaction the first date? what's your story with your wife and meeting her in corvallis
1: okay uh (laughs) the first time we actually met was uh during orientation we were in the same group. I don't remember exactly how we got into the same group. Um, uh, and so there's, there's kind of a funny backstory to this, but, um, the main story is we were in the same group going around, like listening to all the people talk and, you know, all the lectures and whatnot. And then it came to lunchtime and, you know, I, she was in our group. I didn't know much about her. I'm, I'm a naturally shy guy, especially back then. Like I was really shy. I didn't say a lot to a lot of people. And so I was really shy. Um, and so, you know, we, we both got our food at the same time as me. A few other football players, she was in the group, and a few other people she knew. And so we were the first two to get our food. And um, she was like, hey, let's go sit at this table over here. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I wouldn't really say it much the whole time because, you know, I'm, I'm there, like, okay, I'm here to play football. Let's get this orientation over with, you know, and I'm a shy guy. And so she sat – we sat down, and she's a very um, – what's the word? She's very social, very bubbly personality-wise. And so she's asking me all these questions. Hey – you know, so where are you from? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'm answering all the questions. You know, one word, two word answers. You know, just being shy and awkward for no reason. Um, so she asked me, so uh, what are you doing here? Oh, I play football. Oh, really? You came all the way from St. Louis to play football here, huh? Yep. And she's like, uh, let me guess your position. You look like you're a corner. I was like, no, nah, I'll play running back. And She was like, really? You look like you are a little too small to play running back. <laughs> and I, I got so offended and mad, I didn't even respond to the uh, to the question, and I just stopped talking and kept eating my food. And she was like, "Oh, okay, that's nice conversation." And so that was the first time we met, and it reminded a little bit. I didn't realize she was a coach's daughter at the time, so her dad was at orientation. His name's Jeff Mills. He coached uh, quite a few different spots. He was at the University of Washington at the time, uh, so he was at orientation. And we actually sat next to each other and talked a little bit of ball during one of the actual orientation presentations so i was like looking back it was funny i was sitting with my father-in-law you know and i met him before i met her which is which is wild but uh yeah that was the first time we met we fast forward about mm, eight months maybe to about that february yeah seven eight months to that february uh we had a mutual friend that uh was a hey like you know you two should really like talk to each other because you guys are similar you guys both have a you know, faith driven background. And, you know, she's a coach's daughter and you play football, you guys have a lot in common. And so I'm like, okay, cool, like, I'll give it a shot. I didn't, I didn't know it was her, like, I didn't know it was her. we uh, were going to do this mutual friend dating deal. And so I saw her and, you know, I really didn't remember it was her until we started, you know, talking about it. She was like, you know, you probably don't remember this, but at orientation, this whole thing happened and I was that girl. And I was like, wow, here we are now having a conversation and, yeah, we, uh, we started dating, you know, talking on the phone, and, you know, we got engaged and got married. So that's that story.
0: Wow. Does she still think you're too small to be a running back?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, not anymore, especially because <laughs> I, I put on some weight fast, especially going into my sophomore year. So when she met me in, you know, July of my freshman year, I was like 187 pounds, which, you know, in reality, yes, I really was undersized, you know. She was not wrong. She was 100% right. You know, I put, I put on uh, about 16, 17 pounds and was right around 205. And, um, you know, and I was at least serviceable. Still not like big for, you know, football matters, but at least serviceable. But, yeah, no, we laugh about that to this day. People ask the story all the time. We laugh about it to this day.
0: Uh, See, so I think you've been married just at your three-year anniversary. What's kind of the, the biggest thing you've learned about uh, being, being a coach and being married kind of excelling in both of those areas over the last three years? <laughs>
1: um i'll say this uh with marriage marriage is awesome marriage takes work um and especially takes work when a lot of your work as a coach is tied to a lot of time spent at the office and holding your phone in your hand trying to recruit talking to recruits texting and so you really have to do a good job of trying to disconnect you know have i done the best job over that every time no i could do i could have done better i still can't do better um but it's definitely something that you gotta be. What's the word? Intentional about trying to make sure you carve out time to make sure you stay connected with your wife because it's easy to get disconnected when you're going about your schedule, waking up early, coming home late. Um, you know, because like during the season, uh, you know, some days you wouldn't see her in the light at all until like, okay, you get to that Thursday, maybe get home a little earlier on that Thursday or maybe Friday after, you know, a practice, but you don't don't see her in the true daylight because you're so busy. And so as a coach, you got to make sure you put your phone down. I think one of the best practices that I have done is with my recruiting, I try to get all my stuff done at the office before I go home. As far as calls, I try to make too many of them at home. And then the one thing I do is I try not to text my guys as much when I'm around my wife. And, you know, I pray over my actual recruits that come into my family so like you know i i will sit here and be like okay like if it's meant for you know whoever to come into my family i will go about this the right way not sacrifice the time with my wife to be on the phone 24 7 and whoever i end up getting is the person i am supposed to get because my relationship with my wife is not worth it you know what i'm saying so that's kind of been a good practice for me that has helped i say over the last year my first two years i wasn't very good with it but over this past year i think it has helped so, but yeah, that it's, it's a definitely an interesting dynamic, but, you know, I think having her being a coach's daughter is, you know, interesting. It's a blessing because she understands it. But at the same time, you also have to be hypersensitive to that fact too, that she's been through, you know, a lot of that stuff already. So you don't want to have to put her through another cycle of that, of you know, not having, you know, the man in her life around. So that's why I'm trying to do my best job of trying to balance that all out.
0: I like that. There's, there's a lot of good nuggets in there that non-coaches might not realize are, are extra little things, barriers to overcome when you're married and a coach. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, just the last you know question or two, we talked a lot about injuries and that's obviously relevant when you're a player of what you were or weren't able to do and how injuries affected your career, but it's just as relevant in your health once you stop playing because you still have the same body so how's your health now how's your your knee your ankle your head your shoulder your neck i mean how are you doing these days
1: you know i'm, I'm doing okay um i really need to get to a chiropractor i'm all out of whack you know i feel like i got one leg that's longer than the other uh, i'm all out of whack but um yeah you know i to me for being a running back my whole life i feel like my body is in a good place you know i'm not super sore in a lot of spots uh, you know, I still got to make sure I maintenance, you know, obviously the hamstrings, cause I do, I do do a lot of running um, now to stay in shape. So I got to make sure I maintenance my hamstrings um, and then just, you know, being smart about how I lift. Um, I can still do just about any lift I want. I can't do too much overhead stuff um, just so I don't make sure I tighten this canal back here for uh, what's going on back in my neck. Um, and just, you know, being careful, you know, just make sure I don't put myself in, in harm's way to where I can, you know, take in any unnecessary, like, collision to where, you know, I put myself at risk for you know prowls. But other than that, my body's good. I still feel good. You know, probably which is probably why I challenge my running backs to to races and whatnot, that I know I can't win, that I just keep pushing off because I know I can't win. So
0: <laughs> that's great. All right. Last question, kind of a fun one, uh, since we were talking about it a bit earlier. If you had I know you haven't been back to Corvallis too much. You're coaching around. You went to North Dakota, Sac State, playing in Southern Illinois. So you haven't been back to Corvallis too much since you left. If you had 24 hours in Corvallis, you used to get to hang around. I know at least part of the answer, like where you go for lunch. I know what you're going to say for that one. But let's say 24 hours, you get to tour around the city, visit some old spots. What would you do?
1: Oh, man. Good question. Okay, what would I do? 24 hours. Well, I got my food plans. I would try to squeeze local boys in for lunch because they close earlier. You know, and then I'd probably save block 15 for my dinner. Um, those, those would be my two spots there. Uh, I would I would go to probably – I'd probably start my morning off early, going to Market of Choice because um, it would be me and my wife going together. I wouldn't be able to go without her. So we'd go to Market of Choice to start, you know, probably get something just to take home after the 24 hours. Uh, we'd probably take a little tour around just to see everything, early, like early in the morning because obviously I would try to go in the summer and try to float the river. It mm-hmm. would be one of my goals, try to float the river, you know, during the day, get that done early too. Um, lunch at local boys, you know, take a little nap to recover. Um, if there's anyone still around, like let's say there's any old teammates in the area uh, or any old coaches in the area, uh, go see them. Uh, I know my buddy James Rogers is uh, is at Oregon State. So, you know, if he's were around, I'd probably go see him. Maybe he'd come to dinner with us or lunch with us. He'd probably float the river with us. Uh, so I'd be hanging out with him a little bit. Um yeah, dinner at uh, Block 15, then at night. Uh, what we do at night? What will we do at night? I don't know. We'll figure it out at night. But for sure, Block 15, for sure, local boys. I try to float the river. Um, and then obviously just see all the, all the places that you used, to, you, know, you used to love, like going through Oregon State's campus, uh, you know, driving around Reese's Stadium, seeing the, seeing the facilities, like the new Oregon State football facilities, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, can I squeeze in a brunch the next morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to uh, Broken Yoke for brunch.
0: There mm. we go. The I'll, I, can, be early. I, I can tell that you still know the city. It's funny because I can tell you you've remembered it well, and yet things have changed because they Broken Yoke isn't even there. well. It's still there, but they changed the name. It's I think it's called Wise Cracks. But you even what? remember. It. I know. Wow. I, I haven't been there since they changed the name. I don't know if it's like the same thing or different owner or what. I'll have to figure that out. Well, that's a good spot. But to remember how late local boys is open or some of the nuances there, I can tell, you know, Corvallis has a special place because you remember all that. So that's, that's a good answer.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I did not know they changed the name. Yeah.
1: It's called cracks now,
0: huh? Yeah. Look, looks similar. I have to go, I'll check it out. And I'll, I'll let you know if it's as good as it was before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just remember they used to have this really good, uh, they had good scrambles and they had this like jam that just put on like, uh, like a, um English muffin. what yeah. I forget what the jam was called, but it was a really good jam they had. So yeah. I just always missed that
0: jam. But, yeah, Corvallis is where it's at. That was the first place at Broken Yolk was where I met Mike Parker. Do you remember the radio announcer, if you got interviewed by him? That's where I, I first met him back in, like, 2011 and had breakfast with him. So that's a, a special place maybe for the both of us.
1: Yeah, Broken Yolk is where it's at. Now, Mike Parker's is a great dude, too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's awesome. Um, last thing before I let you go, would you – I don't know. I mean, you had a lot of teammates at Oregon State. Who would you recommend if I got anyone else on, someone else I should reach out to, any of the guys that are good interviews, have interesting stories, have done cool stuff since their playing career at Oregon State ended? Anyone else you would recommend?
1: Yeah, uh, I think like Jabril Johnson. Um, I actually
0: did have him on, yeah.
1: Yeah, he, he was an interesting one to me just because he was a <laughs> – he's a cop now and uh, he's yeah. a good player. Uh, Michael Balfour, he's a firefighter um you know he 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 was a friend of mine at Oregon State you know we're the same backfield so we we had some good times together um he'd be a really interesting one just because you know he, he uh played his whole career there at Oregon State he's an Oregon guy and you know him being a firefighter now and coaching football at uh I think it's either Tualatin or Sherwood I forget. I know he played at Sherwood I think he's at Tualatin right now but I'm not 100 sure sorry Mike if you listen to this but um I think he'd be an interesting one I think Marcus Whedon it's just an interesting guy, you know, to talk about his career and, and, and his growth and what he's doing now. And, you know, in fact, he's got his three kids. And I think he's got a, a younger brother that's about to be a senior in high school. And then uh, James Rogers as well, just because, you know, people know a lot about James. But I think James is a great interview because I, don't, I think people know James and James is a good dude. But I don't think people really know how big of a heart that James has. You know, James treats everyone like they're the most important person in the room. He's done a lot for me as an individual, just – treating me well as a friend and you know helping empower me you know in this profession and you know uh, validating whenever I have thoughts and ideas that we may discuss and um, I think he'd be a really good uh, guy to get on the podcast just because he's a good person I see that guy being very successful in whatever he continues to do whether he stays in coaching whether he continues to be at Oregon State or whatever his next endeavor may be that'd be a good one there but those are a couple of them for you
0: yeah I like that I like those examples thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing some fun memories. It was awesome. I was looking forward to this conversation more, more than most. And you, you delivered. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Malcolm.
1: Oh, it was a blast. Thanks for having me, man. God bless to you and your family.
0: That was a really fun conversation with Malcolm Agnew. I like guys who can tell funny stories. They remember memories well enough to recount a funny thing with this guy or that guy, or a Brandon Cook story, or his his story of meeting his wife, just guys who have funny memories and can share them and also put together a, a compelling narrative of what they've been through in their life, what they've learned from it. Really enjoyed hearing that. And like I said at the beginning, normally I don't include that little last part in the podcast, but he just started talking about guys and their stories at the very end, just guys he'd recommend. And I liked what he had to say about Michael Balfour and Marcus Wheaton and James Rogers, all those guys. So I left it in there at the end and hopefully... Uh, you enjoyed hearing just a a snippet of of you know some other names you may not have heard for a while anyways thanks again for listening to this episode of the beaver tales podcast please check out the beaver tales documentaries there's more in the episode description about that until next time on the beaver tales podcast i'm josh warden good night everybody and go bees